And that's the gospel in a song for sure. Amen. Goodness. What a beautiful day to be together. Amen. Amen, church. I hope uh, you've been blessed already just through Sunday school and being gathered together to sing uh, truths of the gospel and through giving, worshiping the Lord this morning. It is good. And um, man, thank you, VJ, for sharing. I didn't know VJ was going to share that this morning. Uh, I, too, had a similar um, situation Friday morning at the kitchen table, <laughs> reflecting as I was meditating on this passage of scripture and thinking back on my life before I was a believer. And what you shared is we can look back and see God's hand, his providence and his grace on our life, even before we've been brought to faith yeah. and trust in him. Amen. And he is so good to do that. And so it is so, so good to be together and join together as the body of Christ to worship him in freedom. Uh, this week on the 11th will be Veterans Day. Uh, next Sunday we'll be honoring our veterans, but I want to encourage you this week, as you see, uh, one, start in your family. You've got family and friends that are close to you that you know have served and um, fought for our country. The freedoms we enjoy this morning to gather. Amen. Uh, thank them. You see someone out in the store, out and about, got a hat on, whatever, and you know they're a veteran. Uh, tell them thank you. Not only is the day a good day, man, we got an extra hour of sleep last night. Yes. That's hard to beat, right? Be rested up, ready to worship the Lord. Um, it's, a, it's a good day. So I want to uh, say to all our veterans, uh, if you're here this morning, we say thank you. And we will recognize and honor you uh, this coming Sunday on the 14th. So uh, thank you for all of your sacrifices. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do I invite you to turn with me to the book of Philippians. Paul's letter to the church at Philippi will be in chapter four. And we're, we're, we're coming down the home stretch. We're uh, gonna be landing the plane here shortly, but we're getting close as Paul has been encouraging these brothers and sisters in the Lord and it has been encouragement to us. I hope it has been an encouragement to you to see joy. That's the theme of the letter. Um, and I'm jumping ahead what I was going to share, but joy is the heart behind this letter to the church at Philippi. I have there just a few things in your notes if you want to follow along there as you have God's word, but first we'll read God's word and then we'll pray together. So listen to the word of the Lord from Philippians chapter four and we'll read one to seven. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Judea and I entreat Seneca to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored, labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you for what we've already experienced this morning, Lord. Through worship, through song, Lord, we pray that the truths we have sung and we have heard, Lord, and we read, have read now, that you by your spirit would just continue to etch them deep into our hearts. That, Lord, that not only would you run them deep, but you would do a sanctifying work in which you change us this morning. That you would change us to be better reflections of you, Lord. That you would create in us, Lord, a courage and a boldness, a firmness, a, 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 a steadiness, and a per that we would be able to persevere in this life. That we wouldn't give up when things are hard. That we wouldn't bail. But, Father, we would hold fast to you recognizing that you hold fast to us, yes. that you are faithful, 
that you are strong, that you are ever loving and giving to us, Lord, that you will remain faithful to your promises and to your people. So, Father, have your way now in these next few moments as we look into your word. Speak to us and teach us, Lord, your word. We want to hear from you. You have the words of life, Father. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Paul is giving the church here at Philippi an exhortation and encouragement. We'll see in this passage a call to prayer. It goes on. We're stopping in verse 7, but it, it continues on through 8 and 9. And looking then at the provision that God provides as we'll pick up in 10 and run through the end of the chapter to a few greetings and tying up some loose ends there. But this morning we see in these verses that Paul will provide a series of commands. Uh, they're known as imperatives. The commands of Scripture to follow. But Paul has already shown us and taught us uh, indicatives about who we are in Christ. To have the mind of Jesus. It is ours already because of the work of redemption. And so he gives these series of commands to help us to continue to walk uh, the life that is, is, is seeking after the Lord to walk the Christian life. It is a, it's a hard life. It's not easy, but it's one that is full with, filled with joy. Amen. And we're not lit, uh, left empty-handed. We have all the resources we need. We have His Spirit. We have His Word. And we have one another. Amen. And so we have all we need to pursue the Lord. In our lives, as you know, if you've lived long enough and uh, some of our young folks, you'll, you'll see this. There's always a temptation to give up. There's always a temptation to run. And I hope to show you here from the text, and you probably already know this, but Paul gives indicators through the language in which he's writing to take us back, to look back at what he's already said, but also to point us forward and to be determined to have a resolve within us, to be obedient to the word of God. Because God's grace is unending, we should be obedient to God's word. We should be dependent upon the Holy Spirit to walk in obedience to the commands and all that he's laid out there for us. If you look in verse one this morning, I just want to draw us back. This is a transitional verse that we finished on two weeks ago. Praise the Lord for our brother Chaz Farmer brought an excellent message from John 3, 16 uh, last Sunday. If you, you weren't able to hear that, I encourage you to go on uh, Facebook or I believe it's on uh, the church website as well. And you can listen to that message he preached that morning and his evening message. He did a great, uh, great job with that text. Handling God's word. It's a fine young man. But chapter four, verse one says, therefore, therefore, my brothers whom I love, long for my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Verse one is a transitional verse. And Therefore, takes us back what he has already said. So Paul wants us to look back. I'm not going to spend a lot of time looking back on that because we have it all to read. We can read it for ourselves, right? But what has he been exhorting them to do? To look at the examples that have been laid out before the church there and ultimately to look to Christ, right? And to understand that we, our joy is rooted in Jesus and making much of him, of partnering together, laboring together for the gospel that the gospel would go out. So he says, therefore, my brothers, whom I long love and long for, and I joy my crown, he tells them to stand firm. And then he uses this word, thus. Thus can be translated in several different ways, but what it is encapsulating, what it's capturing is, not only is Paul wanting them to look back, the church then, and us today, not only we to look back, but we're to look forward. And to look forward in what? In, in how to live out the Christian life. How to follow the Lord. How to fight the good fight. How to lay out your life. And this word is thus. Thus points us forward. How tous is the word in the original language. And it points us forward. The King James, the, the King James Version doesn't capture this. King James says, therefore, my brother, dearly beloved, and long for my joy, my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. The New American Standard says, therefore, my beloved brothers, whom I long to see, my joy, my crown, 
Stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. So it starts to get it. The NIV is a very good translation in this. It says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm in this way, dear friends. Stand, this is how you walk. This is how you follow the Lord. In the English Standard Version, which I am preaching from here, he says, Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for my joy and crown stand firm thus in the Lord. So hopefully you get the idea of what is he saying? He's pointing us forward to this is how you stand. Well, obviously, we talked about a couple weeks ago. We stand firm in the gospel. These kinds of things stand firm in the Lord. He, Paul is trying to emphasize in the closing of this chapter several things that are very important. Integrity in relationships. Integrity in relationships. Fidelity towards God and His Word. A quiet confidence in the Lord and purity and wholesomeness in our thoughts and our actions. Godliness in our heart's attitude. This is what Paul is trying to drive home to these believers and to us now. In every area of life, Paul wants to foster a stability, a firmness, an endurance, a perseverance that these believers would persevere in the Lord. They would walk faithful before the Lord, God, before the God who has done what? He has made himself known to them, you see. And this morning, he has made himself known to us through the scriptures and more importantly and climactically through the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. God has made himself known through the son, Jesus Christ. The burden or the main point of chapter four. How do we boil it all down? I'm a simple guy. I want to just boil it down. How do we get it? The burden of chapter four is never give up in the Christian walk. We give up easy. Our country was founded upon men who had some backbone and grit to them. And although all of them were not Trinitarian, they didn't believe in the Father, Son, and Spirit. They believed in that there was a God. Many were believers, but many were not believers. There was a, a courage and a firmness to them. In our lives as Christ followers, we must not ever give up in walking the way of Christ and following after him and being obedient to his commands. What we have committed to and what he has committed to us, what he has entrusted to us, we are to cultivate and to foster. And that is Christ's likeness, following him on this road of suffering here just for a little while. You see, we will suffer. We will struggle. But as Paul is going to give the command here, we should rejoice, yeah. right? We should rejoice, never give up. So how do we do that? I was thinking about that. How do we then not give up in the Christian life? Well, we need to determine some things in our life. We need to be determined to do some things by the enabling of the Holy Spirit. We don't get it wrong this morning. We're not here to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, right? Men in particular, I can handle this. I can do this. We're prideful, arrogant people. We need God. Amen. We need God in our relationships at every level, within the church, within our families, within the work relationships. Everything we do, we need to be dependent upon Him. And so we need to be determined. We need to have some resolve. We need to be like Christ. And we have people in the Bible who, who give examples. Time, even the, the good examples, we think of King David. You think of Daniel and the lions, then you think of all of these examples. All of them are pointing us to the supreme example, Christ in whom we look to. So just a few things this morning, picking up in verse two, we need to determine to pursue like-mindedness in our relationships, in our relationships with other believers. So where all does these relationships start? Well, it begins in the marriage relationship, but in the context of what Paul is talking about, talking about in the church and he brings up these two ladies look with me in verse 2 I entreat Judea and I entreat Seneca to agree in the Lord we don't know much else about these two ladies 
Their English names means prosperous and fortunate. <laughs> now, we know the church at Philippi was founded upon uh, with Paul and Silas and, and, a, and a lady named Lydia, a wealthy lady who opened up her home and the, the first church there at Philippi was birthed there. We're not, we don't know what kind of problem these ladies were having together, but we do know a little bit about them. They were ones who had labored in the gospel, labored side by side with Paul, together with Clement and the rest of the fellow, uh, fellow workers. So these, were, these weren't ladies who were just sitting on the sidelines. They were serving. And don't, don't get us misconstrued just because it's ladies here. This could have been two men as well, right? Us men get to do some of the same thing. But I don't know what the problem is. It doesn't tell us what the problem is. But Paul comes out and he shares it. He shares, I entreat you, Judea, and I entreat Seneca to agree, and this is important, in the Lord. There are so many things that unity is fragile within the church. There's so many things we disagree upon. We are all different people. Amen? We are, and that's a good thing. There is unity amongst in diversity, right? We see that. We see that all throughout the scriptures. And God is working in that diversity um, to display his glory within the community of faith. And so as we come together from different backgrounds, different families, we look different, we dress different, uh, we may smell different. Um, that was a joke. Uh, we, you know, we're all, we're all different. But what unifies us, what brings us together is the Lord. The first thing Paul does here with these two ladies is he makes this matter, this conflict that was going on, he makes it public. He makes it public. Now you think about as they would bring this letter into the church and they're reading it before the church. Yeah. And then their two names are read out loud. Yeah. Well, that's different, right? There was probably a bit of a hush across the crowd, right? Across the church. But we need to remember that whatever's going on, it wasn't a private matter. It was public and therefore it was addressed publicly. Right. The church knew what was going on. And so Paul lovingly as a loving pastor addresses it publicly when it's a public matter and there's a crack within the church it's going to affect the whole body if there's a crack in the building of the structure of this building it will affect the whole building eventually it was like that illustration I shared about that bridge in Minneapolis I believe it was that collapsed right it had a wink leak. There was a crack there and it needed to be addressed and no one saw it in the poor engineering that went into that. And the result is it, it was compromised and it fell. And broken relationships, conflict management, Paul is teaching us. We could take a message just on this one, one section right here and I was tempted to do that, but how to deal with conflict. If it's public, it needs to be addressed publicly. If it's private, it needs to be addressed private. There's a difference between privacy and secrecy. Yeah. We all need help. Right. We all have broken relationships in some form or another. And so there must be uh, a, a way of addressing that. And Paul is addressing that here and he's bringing it before the fellowship. He's bringing it before the church. Secondly, he spoke about both parties. I entreat to you, Judea and also Seneca. He repeats that same Verb is used there. He's working this situation from both ends with both of these ladies. And he appeals to them on the right grounding. Look at what he says. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, to help these women who has labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of the, my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Um, the one thing you cannot do in a family is walk out and join another family. You can't just leave, right? No, you're in that. We didn't choose to be in this thing spiritually, and we didn't get to choose to be in our physical family. Did any of you choose about that when you were in the womb or even before that? No, we didn't have choice in that, right? The Lord brought us. The Lord awakened us. The Lord saved us. The Lord caused us to be born. And so... We don't have the right to say, man, I, I find this family really difficult. I, I'm out of here, right? 
No, you got to work through those issues. It won't just move down. They're family. They're in it together. And Paul then invites uh, a true companion, um, a, a, a fellow worker. Who this is, not super sure. It's not clear. But also he talks about Clement and the rest of the fellow workers. Um, but whoever this true companion is, whoever this, uh, King James Prabolo, I believe it is, whoever this person is, he's saying this leader, step in. Sometimes leaders need to step into broken relationships. That's what good leaders do, right? Lovingly, not domineering, like they got everything figured out. But they step in for the good name of the Lord and for the health of the body, for there to be reconciliation. Amen. And so he realizes that they're going to need help, Paul does. And he invites this yoke fellow, this true companion, to come alongside and help figure out and get fixed what's going on, that there would be commonality, that they would agree on the gospel. Because <laughs> that's what you see. You notice, a, you notice that Paul says a lot of good about these ladies. When you get crossways with someone, it's real easy to highlight the bad. Isn't it? Let's be honest. Yes. It's real easy to see all the cracks in their life and all the warts, all the faults. But Paul doesn't do that. He doesn't come heavy handed here. Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers. And he even says whose names are written in the book of life. He points clearly that God has saved them. Their names are written down. These are sisters in Christ. What is he doing? He's reminding them, hey man, we're all in this together. Let's work through these issues together. And that's what conflict, that's how conflict must be addressed. We must go back to the common ground. That which has brought us together is Christ. Amen. We have been joined together by the Holy Spirit and we must labor side by side. Not that we just, if we're hurt, we don't confess those things. We go, oh, well, you know, no, we confess that one to another. And we work through it. God is honored in that. One guy said, if Christians cannot bear the sight of each other, they'll never face the world. And that is really true. Yes. Is there anybody here that you can't stand to see or talk to? There's a, there's a crack there. <laughs> there's a problem there in the relationship. So it needs to be addressed, right? You do realize that we are the bride of Christ. And we are given a picture to the lost world of what it's like to be in covenant with the creator God. Together, many, the bride has got many parts. And so we need to make sure we're in good relationship and fellowship with one another so that the world sees a people that's in love with Jesus and truly loves one another well in the way that they care for one another. This is what Paul is talking about. So, He's wanting them to reach an agreement. And, and the agreement is going to be reached when they settle on the gospel. That they would agree there in verse 2, in the Lord. In the Lord. Agreeing in the Lord. The focus is, is this. In our relationships and the things that we disagree about, let's focus on what we do agree about. We can talk about those other things, but what unites us, what brings us together, what binds us is the gospel. The gospel. He says, be like-minded. It's the same word he uses here. Think the same things. Agree with one another. Work hard and humbly on the central issues that the Lord has called us to. All the peripheral things, right? It's a, it's a single devotion. It's one thing I focus on. And all these other things, I can overlook those things. Amen. Right? I can be, be esteeming my brother and my sister more than myself if I'm doing that. I begin to look past some of those things that yes. seem to aggravate me or be a pet peeve to me or, you know. And I say me, I'm talking about all of us, right? <clears throat> so we need to resolve. We need to determine to pursue like-mindedness with other believers and, um, and not quit on that. Not quit on that. And there's so many implications to that. We live in a culture where everybody is bailing out on everything when things are hard. Or, as the millennial phrase was there for a while, I'm just not feeling it. I don't feel it anymore. Right? What in the world is that? I don't feel it. Let me tell you what. If you trust your feelings today, they will lead you astray, man. 
Our feelings change like East Tennessee weather. Right? It changes. Don't trust your feelings. Trust truth. God chose to set His affection on us. And His love and His affection is unchanging. Amen. The love I have for my children, I love them. I choose to love them. My wife, I choose to love her. It's a choice. And we hear people, well, you know, I fell in love or I fell out of love. Anything you fall into, you can climb out of. But you cho we chose to love one another. Each day we choose to do that. Amen. Not just in marriage, not just with our kids, but in the body of Christ. We must choose to love one another. Right? Not trust our feelings. Because our feelings are fickle. But God's word and what he has committed to us, what we have committed to one another, we must carry out. We must not give up. We must press on by the enabling of the Holy Spirit. A lot of time in point number one. And we need to recognize that many times, as I mentioned, leaders are called to step in. Allow those leaders to help in reconciliation. Next, we need to determine, as he says in verse 4, to rejoice in the Lord always. This is good. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. The book of Philippians can be summed up as a fight for joy. A fight for joy. We see this in chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Chapter 2, 17 and 18. I'm not going to read all these. Chapter 3, verse 1. He, he captures that again. I'll just flip back one page. Finally, my brother, read. Rejoice in the Lord to write these same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. And then here in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Remember where Paul is writing this from. He's not at the cabin in the lake. He's not fishing. He's not comfortable. He's in prison, right? He's in prison. And he, unlike me, he's not saying, which I say means, I mean, just hang in there. Just hang in there. And it's well-meaning when I say that. What does he say? What does Paul say? Rejoice. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Your rejoicing should be in the Lord. It's focused on and still rejoicing in who God is and what he has accomplished. Not the circumstances that you are in right now and what we're facing. No, there's a ground of our rejoicing and our rejoicing is in the Lord. See, understanding who God is helps us have a perspective and the right glasses to see this world and the situations that we're in. It's not to demean those circumstances in any way or the conflicts that we may have. No, but boy, when you rejoice and there's a way that you rejoice, he's going to go through this here. It, it, it changes things to focus our rejoicing. You focus your rejoicing this morning, whatever you're going through on Christ, Amen. on the Lord and what the Lord has done. Don't rely on circumstances. I think in James 1, 2 and 4, our students will know this as they've been walking through the book of James on Wednesday nights. James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. So when do you rejoice? Always. Always. It, always. And in everything is what he's saying. In everything that's going on, that's when you are to rejoice. Run writer says this, the believer who practices rejoicing in the Lord will increasingly discover balm in the midst of heartache, rest in the midst of exhaustion, exhaustiating tension, Love in the midst of loneliness and, and the presence of God in control of excruciating circumstances. Someone like that doesn't give up. When the perspective is right on who God is and what he's, he is working all things together for his glory and your good, brother and sister. So determined to be a person who rejoices. Determined to be a gentle person. It's hard to rejoice to rejoice consistently if you're not gentle. Look at verse 5. ESV says reasonableness. Um, the other versions of the scriptures um, will translate it a little bit different. But it says 
Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. William Tyndale, 1525, translated it this way. Let your softness be known to all men. And that, that idea that he has there, that understanding is very appropriate. The King James renders it moderation. Um, I think that the best rendering of this in the, the NASB, New American Standard, is let your gentleness be known to everyone. Paul is bringing together gentleness that comes from the character of Jesus himself, right? This is what Christ has exhibited. We see this in 2 Corinthians 10, 1, where Paul uh, appeals to the, to, to the church at Corinth, and he says, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Jesus used the same word to describe himself, saying in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, I am gentle and low in heart. And here in this context, here in Philippians, this is what is in view here. The gentleness of Christ. The gentleness of our Savior, of our great shepherd. The one who did not grasp his own rights, but he laid them down. Do you lay down your rights? We lay all of that down because God has laid it all down for us. Being a gentle per person is opposite of being a self-seeking person. And many times our gentleness can be disguised by that. We can be disguising that. So a question I want you to consider is, what do you want to be known for? What do you be, want to be known for? I had a conversation with a guy that what do, what do I want to be known for? I can tell you a temptation as a, as, a, as a pastor is to be known as an excellent preacher, right? If my name were, oh man, that Zad Tom, that guy's a really good preacher, right? What's the motive behind that? A good preacher or even a good pastor. Where's the motive? What's my motive? I need to always be checking that. Not just Zad, but you. What do you want to be known for? Have you thought about that? What do I want to be known for? Lord, I want to be known as a gentle man. A gentle husband, a gentle father, a gentle brother in Christ. And lastly, a gentle pastor, a gentle preacher who doesn't, gentle doesn't mean weak, right? You think about meekness too. It meekness is simply power under control. And that's what Jesus exhibited clearly through his life. This is the Lord of glory who could call down the army of hosts at any time to wipe out his enemies. Yet he humbled himself. Meek and lowly. Right? And the Bible says, the Lord is at hand. Let your reasonableness, let your gentleness be known to everyone. Why? Why? The Lord is at hand. There's a couple interpretations of this, but I think what Paul is getting at here, because he's probably bringing both of these together, is the Lord is not far off. He is very near. Is the time near? Obviously so. We're closer now to the return of Jesus than we were 2,000 years ago. Amen. We're closer today to the return of Jesus than we were yesterday. Yes. So is that a correct interpretation? Yes. But really, what is at the heart of what is he trying to uh, explain to us is, is this, is the Lord is near to you. The Lord is near to you. So how can we give ourselves to self-promotion when we know the Lord is near? I thought about this. Suppose for a moment that the resurrected, exalted Christ walks into the room where you're at and with you and your friends, you're seated and suppose that there was no doubt in anyone's mind as to his identity, how would you respond? How would you respond to him? Would you immediately rush up to him and strut your excellence? There will be no strutting before the master. How would you respond? As he showed you a glimpse of his glory and turned over his nail-scarred hands, would you be quick to parade, parade your Virtues and good deeds you've done in your life? 
Would self-promotion play any part in your thinking at that point? You're sitting before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. No. And that's the point. The Lord Jesus has promised to be present. Yes. And He is present with you and me every day by His Spirit. Amen. He sees you. He's with you. He knows your heart. He knows your attitude. And yet He still loves you. Yet He still extends grace and forgiveness to you. Yet He wants you to be reconciled more and more so that you exhibit His heart in every relationship in the church and outside of the church. When you think about that, you think about where He says in His Word where two or three are gathered of His disciples, there He is also. Does it change? Does that change for you? Does that change anything for you? Let your gentleness be evident to all. Why? Because the Lord is near. The Lord is near. Determine not to be anxious about anything, but dis discipline yourself to pray instead. Determine not to be anxious. Oh, this is hard here. Hear what he says here. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. How many of you struggle with worry? Anybody struggle with worry? Awesome. There's 12 of us. <laughs> After service, we would like to sit up front and y'all come one by one and just share with us what you do. I'm joking. I know all of us struggle with anxiety, right? Worry. Is this, is this not something that plagues us day by day by day? Our thoughts begging, really our sin begging to, to interpret reality for us instead of what? Really worry, and this is not heaping condemnation on any of us, but have you ever considered that one of the causes of worry is a lack of trust and dependence upon the promises of God? When you boil it all down, we, we just really don't trust him enough. And that's why our faith is being changed. I don't, I'm not trying to beat you down. This is me too. That's why our faith, we're in grace, is being strengthened and changed day by day. So Paul cuts right to the chase and says, don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking, who else talks about being anxious? Turn to Matthew 6, 25 to 35. Jesus talks about this, right? Jesus talks about this very clearly. I thought I had that typed out in my notes, and I did. This was Friday as I was meditating on this passage. Chapter 6, we know this is the Sermon on the Mount, right? Greatest message ever. <laughs> Look at verse 25. Just listen here. Three times he tells them. Jesus tells them three times. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. This is right after him saying, where to lay up your treasure? Where moth and rust and thieves can't come in and destroy. Lay them up in heaven, right? Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink nor about your body or what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And he gives the examples of the birds. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add one single hour to his span of life? That's convicting. All that worrying I'm doing, guess what that worrying's doing for me? A big old zero with the rim knock on. Nothing. Right? I know this, but then living that out is a whole different ballgame. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, here it is. Be not anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things 
will be added to you. And here's the third time. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And now Paul comes here and he just cuts right to it based off his understandings of the word of God, the word of Jesus. He says, don't be anxious about anything. Clothes, food, life, death, none of that. Your life is Christ. Look to him. Trust in him. Take time to recount God's promises to yourself through the reading of God's word. Our lives are so rushed. We're so quick to have a three minute little quiet time, right? Just a little bit of time with the Lord and then rush off. Take time. You won't regret it. Spending long looking at him and his word. The psalmist had it right. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. As we believers come before the Father regularly in prayer, this is where we must discipline ourselves in prayer. To not be worrisome and anxious, but to regularly come before the Father Peter captures this in 1 Peter 5, 7, where he says, cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Is that? That's deep theological stuff there. Why don't you need to worry? Because the God of heaven, the creator of all, he cares for you. He has set his affection upon you. He is for you. He's not against you anymore. He cares for you. You don't hear anything else as you walk out of here, brother and sister in Christ. Good God of heaven cares for you because of his son and what he did at Calvary and the resurrection. Paul is right. Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. We are refreshed. And we are given assurance as we meditate on the sovereignty and the providence of a wise God. And so Philippians 4 is a way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful. The way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful in everything. In prayer and in your petitions, bringing your requests before the Lord. Bring them before the Lord with thanksgiving. Knowing that even the hard trials, God is conforming you in that. This is hard. And it's captured. I, this week on Friday, I remember hearing about this guy in, uh, in my time studying God's word when I was in Toronto. And it, it, it is so good. One writer says this. He says it was... It was right to insist that anxiety and genuine prayer are more opposed to each other than fire and water. I've yet to meet a chronic warrior who enjoys an excellent prayer life. That hit me like a ton of bricks, right? Whatever you're worrying about, take it to the Lord in prayer. If you want to keep up with that, write it down. Write down your worries and then pray for those worries. And you'll see the Lord will be able to, he'll start lifting your countenance. Remind yourselves of his providence, who he is. I'm excuse me, of his promises and his providence. God is working all things out. But I heard this story in my time in Toronto studying of an English poet named William Cooper. William Cooper in 1773 pinned down him. He pinned down like 67 hymns. William Cooper had went uh, pretty much crazy and was in an insane asylum. And there, a doctor led him to the Lord. Now, he had been a poet for a while, but he was all messed up in his head. But God rescued him and saved him. And then he befriended, as he was living with a family, he befriended a man named John, or a man befriended him by the name of John Newton. John Newton has written man so many hymns but he pinned this down when cooper struggled struggled with depression 
thoughts of suicide, anxiety, and worry like we know not of. He experienced all kind of pain throughout his life. But he pinned down this hymn entitled God Moves in Mysterious Way. God moves in a mysterious way. Listen to it. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break. In blessing on your head, judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides his smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Yeah. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. Cooper was wrestling with the providence and of God, the sovereignty of God, the sufferings that we face, the trials that we endure, the mental issues that we deal with each and every day. And he began, God revealed himself to him and saving him. And he pinned down what a, a beautiful hymn that captures that. God is moving in a mysterious way. And as we bring our worry and our anxiety before the Lord, we bring it to him in prayer, a prayer of thanksgiving that God, you're in control yes. and you're working in my life and I can't see it. Mm -hmm. Lord, I can't see your hand right now, but help me trust your heart. Right. Help me trust that you're good in all your ways. That's what your word says. Lord, I'm going to align myself with your word. I'm going to determine to be a man and woman, young boy and girl who loves you and trusts you. Yes. And now, Lord, transform my relationships. This peace is found Oh, excuse me. I jumped ahead. <laughs> we bring all of our thanksgiving. We bring all of our prayer to the Lord. All of our petitions with thanksgiving. And look at what the, re the results are. Excuse me. Boy, this is a good closing to this verse. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds yes. in Christ Jesus. There is only one way to have peace. You're not going to find it anywhere else it's not at the beach it's not on an extended vacation it ain't on a cruise ship in the greek mediterranean it ain't up in the mountains it's not in the swiss alps it's not in a medication it's not anywhere but in the lord jesus christ Amen. peace is found in knowing god and we can through christ and this is what paul has in mind Peace is found in Jesus. This is a supernatural peace. It's all sufficient in the storms of life. You can cry with a smile knowing that God is good. Lord, you took my mama with pancreatic cancer, but you're good. Because she's rejoicing with you. And I'll be with her in a little while. Through whatever you're facing, God is good. Because Christ is our peace. Jesus had promised, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives it. Do I give it to you? Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. If I go to prepare a place, I will come for you yeah. again. Amen. Right? Don't fear. No peace comes from the Lord, not from anything in this world. It comes down from above like a surging river in the troubled hearts of man does God's peace come. And it's the only thing that brings genuine peace. One writer says there's not a drop of genuine peace outside of him, nor a moment of relief apart from resting in him. All peace and all comfort are found in Christ and in Christ alone. Yes. I close with two quotes that summarize this section so well. One is in your notes from Grant Osborne and the second from Kent Hughes. In any and every in any and every situation, the presence and the involvement of the triune Godhead, the Father, Son, and Spirit, calls for joy. Because the Lord is in charge, and the overseeing of each circumstance is to bring about good in the end. 
It is not our situation, but the presence of God that determines the joy we feel. Mm -hmm. That is so good. Mm -hmm. And then Hugh says this, the commitment to obey the command to rejoice, to obey the command to be gentle to everyone, to obey the command not to worry about anything, to obey the command to pray with thanksgiving and thus receive the marvelous peace of God. These commitments will elevate the unity in the life of the church and build an inviting haven for a world that needs Christ. Yes. As you build relationships with other people, you're inviting them to see what it's like to be in relationship with the Lord. You're inviting them to see what it's like to have a marriage that is rooted in Jesus. What it's like to be uh, in a faith family. What it's like to be a co-worker who is first a Christ follower. Mm -hmm. What it's like to be an American who is first a Christian. You're inviting them to see a reflection of the one who made you and bought you. And we are reflecting that together. And we should be inviting people in to this haven. <laughs> but if there's conflict, there won't be any rejoicing. There's no rejoicing. There won't be any gentleness. And there's no gentleness. There won't be any prayer. And if there's no prayer, your peace is going to suffer. Yes. Amen. Amen. There is so much goodness in God's word. Amen. We do long. We do well to look at it a long time. Amen. I love you, church. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. And we praise you for your great love for us, Lord. We thank you that we can rejoice always and in all things because we know who you are. And we're growing in our understanding of who you are. And so you're deepening in us a love and affection for you and you alone. Out of that, Lord, may that affect our relationships one with another as Judea and Seneca and whatever conflict they had, whatever conflict is in the midst of our faith family, may you by your spirit, you are a God of reconciliation. May you bring, may you bring that in the lives of this faith family. May we as your people be a good reflection of that, Lord. Thank you for what you have done and thank you for what you're going to do. As we sing to you now, Lord, may we think about the truths that we've heard from your word and that are in your word. And may we praise you. Do your work for your glory in the hearts of your people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Like Jerry and gang to come up and get us a song. The Lord's dealing with you. The altar is open. Need someone to talk to or pray with. I'm sure you have a, a friend or a family member, but know uh, your pastor is here as well, and I'll be glad to pray with you if you would like that.